are looking live. I don't believe what I just saw. Back and very well rested, it's the 252. Sports Talk Radio is done by academics. I'm Chris Garretts. I'm Chris Moore. And I'm Sam Mulberry. Gents, it has been, I think, about nine months since the last time that this august, now four-year-old podcast was recorded. Uh, Chris, I think you're part of maybe one of these. We did a three-part series on the Men's World Cup. Yes. Right, and you came in as our international relations expert, and then Briefly. Sam and I talked... Yeah, drew in our vast knowledge of World Cup soccer. So I need to ask, like, we did that kind of as an emergency because we love mm. the World Cup, and that's kind of fun. Can I get you on record mm. that we will do uh, an episode for every World Series game the Twins play in this year? You bet. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's we happening. <laughs> I think it is happening. I, I do. I'm not why? joking. I'm not I, joking. <laughs> Minnesota time for a second, Doctor Moore. <laughs> sure. I, no, I know we're getting to baseball later. <laughs> wow. Ouch. But this feels so much like 1987. Yeah, I don't know what to do about it. It's a, a flawed team in a terrible division that's going to win 85 games, but has at least two kind of playoff ready starters. It's got enough hitting that it, this could happen. Yep. Yep. And I, so I'm just going to say right now. Um, Royce Lewis World Series MVP. Yep. Yeah. He's going to hit four home runs in the World Series and win World Series MVP. Okay, Chris, tell us why we're wrong. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. I want you to be right. It's just I I'm I, I'm shrinking from being excluded from this. Oh, I'm just sorry. Just because oh. I happen to live in Ohio in 1987 does Weren't you a Tigers fan, though? No! Oh. See, we're, we're just treating you the way Minnesotans are supposed to treat anybody <laughs> what, who's not born here. profoundly exclusionary? <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, sure. <laughs> you'll always be from Ohio, Chris. Uh, yeah, I'm okay with that. <laughs> okay, we don't want to exclude our listeners, though. Absolutely. So let's bring them back into the conversation and say that this, uh, this podcast has been around since 2019. And the reason we're reviving it on maybe like a monthly basis this fall goes back to the original reason, which was... Chris Moore, why do we start the 252? Well, so you and I had grand visions of teaching, which we actually executed, mm-hmm. a class mm-hmm. um, cross-listed between the political science and history departments on the history and politics of sports. Mm-hmm. And History 252L. History 252 Political science 252 Hence the, uh, the nature of this podcast. This was sort of our warm-up, our spring training, mm-hmm. our two-a-days, if you will, mm-hmm. to get ready for the um, eventual class itself. And we worked out some ideas. We worked out kind of our repartee and how we would actually teach this class together. Mm-hmm. And so we kind of, we even though the class has been taught several times, mm-hmm. we're kind of coming back to this. We are, because we're coming back to the class. So this is every other true. year a class. We are reviving it in spring of 2024. Yes. And for the first time since COVID days, you and I are teaching together. That's right. So we taught it once together, and the the, the, the mere doing of that caused the entire world to shut down. It's better than some of the other theories out there. Yes. Yeah. We, we caused COVID. And so to the, be fair, you guys don't know what the end of this class looks like in person. You've never... No. Not together. No. Yeah. Not together. Yeah. I know and, it looks like... And then I, was, then I went on sabbatical, yeah. and you taught the entire class face-to-face. Mm-hmm. I joined you for exactly one event, which was my own way of getting into a Twins game with your students. <laughs> it was great. 
great. We it met the fantastic. bachelor. Yeah. Uh, Royce Lewis hit his first major league home run, I think. Foreshadowing. Yeah, yeah, foreshadowing. Um, yeah, so we're teaching the class again. And so we thought, well, you know, again, maybe we need to warm up, not necessarily with like weekly episodes, but. We have some muscles that need to be honed a little bit. Some and some some hamstrings to uh, exercise a little bit. I feel bit. like our repartee is not bad, but it could be polished a bit. Absolutely. Right, so I don't keep stepping all over your, your good lines. <laughs> I, I don't know. We also just like doing this. Sam likes doing it with us. We've got things to talk about. And so we thought, you know, let's help. Let's bring this back. So we'll be with you probably once a month through the fall. And then we'll see what happens once we're in the class in 2024. Sounds great. All right. So if you are newer to the show or if because it's been nine months you need remembering uh we usually end each episode with what we call three to see as we'll do today we'll each suggest something coming up in the week ahead that we think is worth your watch and now we decide is it worth your watch now this is a bit odd <laughs> because we recommended these things back in like the second week of december 2022 so it's been a while but let me take you guys back in time to the cue the back in time music. That's right. Last December, were we right to recommend the following games? Chris Moore. Yes. The cadets beat the midshipmen 20 to 17 in the first Army Navy game ever to require extra time. Army kicker Quinn Moretzky, who's from Hawaii, by the way, tied the game with a last minute field goal in the fourth quarter and then won it in the second OT after Navy fullback Anton Hall Jr. fumbled. That seems like a worth the watch. Did you watch this game? I watched. I watched the overtime of this game and a little bit of the fourth quarter that got us there. So the part you described is the part that I Seems saw. Seems like the right time to join the Exactly. The yeah. Because mostly I thought, okay, I got to keep myself honest. Was this actually <laughs> worth the watch? And I turned it on and you bet it was. We're giving that one a big check mark. Yeah. Uh, Sam, you went to a slightly more obscure sport. The Brazilian men won an unprecedented third consecutive title at the 2022 Goalball World Championships, while Turkey won the women's title after eking past Team USA 5-4 in the quarterfinals. You might need to remind some listeners what goalball is, and then you can deem this worth a watch or not. Well, goalball is a sport for the blind. Mm -hmm. Um, So competitors, even if they have some sight, are are fully blindfolded uh, as they play this. So was this worth the watch is the wrong question. Was it worth the listen? This is an auditory sport. And of course it was. Of course it was. Uh, And then I said, well, here's what happened. France defeated England 2-1 in the Men's World Cup quarterfinals. Olivier Giroud headed in the winning goal as France marched toward a very memorable final against Argentina. My guy, Harry Kane, scored one penalty but missed another to prolong England's international misery, which now stretches back to the 1960s. Uh, this was painful to watch, but I think it was worth the watch. It was one of many really good games in the in the knockout round of the World Cup. If I get nothing else out of this episode, I'm remembering how fun the World Cup was. Really I really was. enjoyed really that, especially that time of year. Yeah. I liked it. Yeah, I think we'll talk more about the Men's World Cup. I think one of us will talk about the 2026 World Cup in segment two. It's coming to North America, but the United States, among others. But let's also talk about the Women's World Cup. Yes, uh, England's other national team. Uh, in in soccer international football also fell just short with the three lionesses losing to Spain in the finals of this summer's Women's World Cup. So this actually leads into a couple of questions. Let's start with a broader one. So Chris and Sam, is it a good thing for women's football, we'll call it, the Team USA went out so early in that tournament, losing a heartbreaker to Sweden in the round of 16. They didn't even make the quarterfinals. This was a team that was heralded as a possible three-peat champion is it actually better for the sport that uh, Team USA was mildly disappointing? I would say it depends on if you think 
back-to-back championships is enough to feel dynastic because what you want in sport, what I want in sports is dynasties so dynasties can be toppled. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Parody is not that fun, and it's not that fun when you're in the dynasty. If you're not part of the dynasty, when you're in the dynastic part, but it's so much fun to watch it get toppled. So I think two is probably enough, you know, in, in the history of the sport to feel like. And it's not the only two they've ever won. So yeah, them going out early is kind of exciting because then it you inject a little bit of chaos into the tournament. Sure. Uh, just to incentivize a little bit of debate here, I'm going to say no. It wasn't good for the sport for them to go out so early. It is good. I, I agree with your overall logic. It's good for the dynasty to topple, but I think you wanted the United States to stick around maybe for another round or two, mm-hmm. maybe get to the, uh, the semifinals or something before they're upset. This looked like a flawed U.S. team from the very beginning, mm-hmm. and I don't think anyone was terribly surprised they went out when they did that the offense was incredibly lacking there's some real deep questions about what the u.s women's team does in terms of development from this point mm-hmm. forward and i think that their their early exit meant that their their shadow is not cast deeply upon this world Cup. it probably affects viewership as well i, I would think it especially in the u.s yeah i yeah, it, my only point of reference, I guess, is the men's game. And it's worth pointing out, in the Men's World Cup, you don't get three-peats. You don't really get repeats that often. There's also not really parity. Like, a very small list of nations has shared, but very few of them have won more than twice. Um, I mean, I think the larger thing maybe that, that's important here is they had expanded the field to include especially especially African nations and some, like, Central American nations. And they actually were often more competitive than expected. And that's probably a better sign itself for the overall yes. health of the women's game, that it's 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 starting to spread to a wider array of regions and countries uh, than it had even four or eight years ago when the U.S. was really, truly dominant. Now, um, Spain ended up winning. Um, and it remains in the news, not so much because it won, but because of other things that happened. Uh, did you all watch the ceremony uh, at which the president of the Spanish uh, Football Federation, his name is Luis Rubiales, uh, gave uh, quite a kiss to one of the star players on the Spanish team and not a requested kiss. Yes. Her name is Jenny Hermosa. She's mm-hmm. kind of plays a similar position to Alex Morgan. She's scored about 50 goals internationally and you know, a decently long career, a pretty significant figure in the sport. This has become now an international debate, uh, it's certainly it's a national debate. Just very recently, I think this week, she actually f- um, filed a complaint against she him did. for she sexual charges. assault. Right? Um, the football federation has kind of gone back and forth. Rubiales has not apologized. He, I think, has been suspended, but he insists that he did nothing wrong. Although the coach has resigned. Well, the coach is another. So this is the other layer to the story. His name is Jorge Vilda. Um, me very successful. Has been coached for a long time at different levels of Spanish football. Last year, about 15 of his players went on strike because of his methods. Uh, he was shown applauding the uh, Federation chief and by mm. implication supporting him and then walked it back, but then got fired. Uh, and a lot of players have said we'll never play until there's reform. Uh, they're supported by the union internationally of women's soccer players. Um, this connects to lots of things. Uh, sure. I guess I mean larger debates about the nature of sexual harassment, sexual assault. Um, who has power in sports and especially mm-hmm. in women's sports? So I I don't necessarily have a question here, but if you've been watching this, like what's do you have a takeaway, Chris Moore, as you as you watch this going on? What is it betoken? My takeaway is that what we're seeing at the at the height of world's women's soccer is repeated 
regularly in women's sports at the collegiate level, women's sports at the high school level. Uh, there are power dynamics between male coaches, male trainers, and female athletes. There have been um, multiple scandals of great depth and great tragedy in American sports, and we're just seeing it at the highest level here. Mm-hmm. So I don't ever wish this to happen, but I am uh, glad that this is getting the international conversation it is because it deserves it. Yeah. I mean, an ongoing debate, I mean, I guess kind of mildly related to this is men coaching women. Does that keep women out of positions? Um, you know, the England team was coached by a woman who very possibly could become the Team USA coach, um, but that was not the norm for the tournament. Right. Men are still often coaching at this level in women's sports. It's, it's, a, it's an incredible disparity in athletics more generally that um, men coach men, men coach women, sometimes women coach women. And that's a real disparity in power. And women do not coach men. Exactly. Very that's minor exceptions. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Um, second big talker, and I'm glad. I don't know which of you added this to our list, but as a baseball fan, um, but also I think this is a good uh, topic to, to think about. Uh, Major League Baseball, uh, which is maybe the very definition of a hidebound institution, has <laughs> very, very reluctantly, but pretty radically accepted some significant rule changes uh, this year pertaining to the use of a pitch clock. Yes. Uh, this affects the running game, the size of bases, number of times you can throw over to first base, uh, all of which, among other things, has shortened games. Last year, the average length of games was three hours and four minutes. As of the All-Star break in July, it was down to two hours and 38 minutes. Almost half an hour has been shaved off games. Mm-hmm. Um, this might change for the playoffs. There's some discussion of that. But overall, that at least has happened. Uh has it changed other things about the game? Well, it's absolutely changed its its viewership. Mm-hmm. Uh, viewership of uh, baseball, televised baseball, is up substantially, and attendance is up this year at, at sports. Now, I want to be clear here. Live attendance could also be affected by uh, the diminution of COVID threats. True. So I don't want to suggest that's just because the games are shorter, but it certainly seems to point in the direction of being assisted by the fact that games are shorter and more lively. Yeah, so uh, these are all-star break numbers. They're about a month and a half old. But it's from Sports Business Journal. Viewership uh, was up over 30% on Fox and Fox Sports 1, which is one of many broadcasters. Mm-hmm. Uh, social media engagement, increasingly, and this is actually how fans put eyeballs on sports, is up about 25%. And attendance is up between 8 and 9% overall. Yeah. And this does vary by team, too. But it, it's it's a significant increase, and it seems to suggest they're in the right direction. I'd add some other things. Like Every team now has not only the habit of flipping bats, but they have a celebration for home runs. I think this started, <laughs> as far as I can tell, with the World Baseball Classic. And now every team has one. The Twins have one with a fishing jacket. I think the Tigers have one with like a Red Wings helmet and stick. Like, yep. Baseball, I say this as I'm actually kind of a traditionalist. Like I, I wish pitchers were still hitting. I'm, I'm that kind of baseball fan. I think it's great. Like baseball is actually genuinely funner than it was. And I think it's a much better product, both in person and on TV, to watch something that's a little bit more streamlined. I think players have adapted pretty quickly. To I, it. I think it's interesting that, that they added these, that they made these rule changes and they worked. Yeah. Because <laughs> very often it's like, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. And, and it has an adverse effect or it has no, like these seem to universally have, have worked pretty well. There's one rule change I don't like on oh, principle. Okay. But um, I was hoping you'd bring this up. Okay. Because uh, I actually, I want, I want your take on this. The other big rule change was outlawing the shift. Oh yeah. On yeah. principle, yeah. I, I, I don't like this, but I'm curious your thoughts on this. 
Yeah, in principle, I, I think it's artificial. It reeks of something the NFL would do when its competition committee will tweak something by 0.5 degrees. And, like, it's constantly tinkering. I, I like it in terms of what actually happens. I, I hated watching the shift. I thought it was just appalling to watch the shift. I'm 100% with you. I like the result, yeah. but I, that's not how you fix no. that problem. You fix that problem by hitting to the opposite. No, but I think one thing it does point to is the way this happened was – I mean, in a sense, it's very top-down, right? Baseball has tended often to have pretty powerful commissioners. It Mm -hmm. introduced the idea of a powerful commissioner who was often, you know, aligned with the owners but above the owners and able to make them do things for their greater good. But baseball also has the most powerful players' union historically, and they were able to buy into this with collective bargaining. It's like, um, I mean, this actually happens a lot in other sports, right? Football is always changing rules. Um, other sports to some degree. Soccer right now in some leagues is actually playing with the offside rule to try to encourage more goal scoring. Hmm. Um, baseball, this is pretty unusual, but it does have the kind of format where if the powerful union and the powerful commissioner can be on the same page, you actually can have a significant change like this, but it's fairly unusual. For my, my approach to it as a fan is like suspension of disbelief where I just have to live in a world where it never occurred to somebody to do a shift. You could do it, but nobody's thought of it. That's right. I, that, that's what I have to adopt. All right. Well, that is segment one, which as usual is a kind of random assortment of topics that we've been thinking about, talking about, want to hear the others talk about. Uh, in segment two, we're going to look not to the recent past or even to the present, but to the future and speculate yes. about where sports is headed over the next couple of decades back after a break. This week in sports history. New York, New York, September 14th, 1923. 80,000 fans crowd the polo ground to watch boxer Jack Dempsey defend his heavyweight title against Luis Firpo. The Argentine knocks the champ out of the ring at the end of the first round, but Dempsey recovers to knock out Firpo less than a minute into the second round. New York, New York, September 13th, 1970. Just 55 runners finished the first New York Marathon, which consists of several loops around Central Park. Winner Gary Murky finishes in two hours and 32 minutes as an awarded, a cheap wristwatch, and a recycled bowling trophy. In 2022, Kenya's Evans Chibet finishes in just two hours, nine minutes to win the $100,000 first prize. Pebble Beach, California, September 15th, 1961. Having already won the NCAA championship, Ohio State golfer Jack Nicholas wins his second U.S. amateur title. Nicholas also finished fourth as an amateur in the U.S. Open that summer and will win that event a year later to make his professional debut, defeating Arnold Palmer in an 18-hole playoff. Minneapolis, Minnesota, September 12, 1986. On their way to finishing 20 games under 500, the Twins fire manager Ray Miller and replace him with third base coach Tom Kelly. The following year, Kelly leads Minnesota to its first World Series title, defeating the St. Louis Cardinals four games to three. There's the pitch. Swing a bouncing ball. The guy, he has it. Close to Herbert. And the Twins are baseball's world champion. The world champion, Minnesota Twins. The Twins win it four to two. Let's listen to this crowd. What else? You've been listening to This Week in Sports History.
Welcome back to the 252. Segment two does a couple of different things. Sometimes we talk to guest speakers, experts, either here at Bethel or elsewhere, and sometimes use those interviews in our course. It's also a chance for us to play games, which is a common thing we like to do on this podcast network. And so we're going to try a new game that we're calling, and we don't have to keep calling this, but we thought we'd try it, non-zero the future of sports. So here's how it's going to work. Zero. So I want everyone to imagine it's the year 2043. Why 2043? Well, because Chris Garretts and Sam Mulberry are wrapping up their 40th years on the Bethel faculty. I thought of this while I was watching during faculty retreat, the like 20 year milestone moment and thinking, (laughs) huh, I wonder what's 2043 going to be like? Well, let's ask that in the realm of sports. It's going to be a very different sporting landscape. Or is it? So what we're going to do is each of us has conjured up one scenario, a significant way that we think sports has changed between now and 2043. Uh, And then we're going to try to convince the other 252ers that there's at least a non-zero chance of this happening. Hmm. Now, I don't think we really know what we're each about to propose. All we told the others was kind of the sport it involves and our best assessment of how likely this is. So we're trying for a mix of things that maybe are somewhat likely or at least not unlikely to very unlikely, but non-zero. Right. There's a there's a You're one thousandth of a, a percent exactly. <laughs> so we're going to try to cover the wider world of sports, the range of possibilities. I'll I'll start because I was talking about this with my son, uh, and I, I convinced him. He actually thought this was likely. I'll, I'll be uh, I'll be interested to see what you all think. So here's my scenario: mm-hmm. in the year 2043, the most popular sport in the United States is still professional football. The second most popular sport in the United States in 2043 is professional soccer. It has surpassed baseball, basketball, hockey, etc. It is now the second. Now, by that I mean not just Major League Soccer or whatever the U.S. League is, but international professional soccer, and not just like the World Cup, but like regularly watching annual competitions of the other football. So here's here's the best case I can make for why I think this is how this is going to happen, and why like in some ways this is timely. Uh, You might have noticed, but we're having a messy moment right now in this country. Uh, It's been kind of remarkable. Like, it's not unusual for aging international soccer stars to come to the United States to play out their career for a lot of money. But Leo Messi is both, you know, by far the greatest player of recent memory. He's probably going to win another Ballon d'Or this year. But he's also, like, got some left in the tank, right? Maybe not internationally, but he could have kept on playing in Spain, in France. He could have gone to England came down the last and it's been this kind of like storybook thing where they won a tournament they're in last place but they might actually win the championship celebrities are showing up at a game in los angeles the other night um he actually has a deal where he gets a percentage of all apple tv subscriptions generated after his signing wow and it's taken off right that's and amazing so that that's that's one kind of thing wedded to that is the United States is co-hosting the Men's World Cup in 2026. Now, I don't know if you remember the last time the U.S. hosted in the 1990s, that launched the MLS, right? Mm -hmm. And so I guess I'm imagining Messi-fueled MLS fervor heads into World Cup hosting, launching whatever the next level or iteration is. Well, and this is interesting because in 19... I remember 1994 and then when the MLS launched, if you had said back then the MLS is still going to be around 20 years later... Most people would say, no, no, these leagues fold up in like five years. Because it happened. I mean, the North American mm-hmm. Soccer League had a nice little run in the 70s. Pele played for the New York Cosmos. And then by the time like I was watching the 80s, it was indoor soccer, basically. Okay, so that, that's part one. Part okay. two, it already is growing. 
Um, now, it's hard to pull numbers because a lot of soccer viewership at the level of the MLS, which has a deal with Apple TV, um, the Premier League, which I mostly watch on a streaming service called Peacock, it's mostly via streams and YouTube and other social media engagements, right? So it's hard to compare to like a Nielsen rating that an NFL playoff game or a Sunday afternoon game is getting. Um, so I don't actually know that I have good numbers to give you. I've seen it said that we're already kind of at the level of like hockey and soccer are fairly close in terms of like online and TV viewership. It seems like that's only going to keep on growing, right? There's already significant investment. You can watch if you want to pay a few dollars a month. Pretty much every European league, the MLS, the Champions League, and all its ancillary competitions, and people are doing this, and soccer has done this mostly through evolving emerging media, right? They're not, they, there is an NBC deal, but a lot of that is mediated through Peacock and through YouTube highlight reel clips instead. And that does seem like the future of sports media in some ways. Like, I imagine the mm. NFL will still have some kind of deal with something like networks in 2043, but... Again, like baseball's viewership, it's not just that FS1 views are going up, but like social media engagements are yes. going up. Soccer works really well for that. Soccer lends itself well to highlight kinds of packages, and I see that only helping the sport. I do like the subtle offense you you gave to uh, the national broadcasting company with, with the phrase, a streaming service called Peacock. <laughs> I love Peacock. <laughs> no, me too, but yeah. but but, but, oh, but there's not a lot of respect in that sentence. It is, but it, it actually, year to year, it has gone up since last year. I don't right. know how much yet, but I see that. I'm more confident that the soccer is the number two favorite sport in America in 20 years than I am that Peacock exists. Right, you're right. Okay, last thing, and this is actually the one that matters because the, the purpose of this course is not actually just sit around talking sports, but to think about how sports is both a mirror for things happening in society or politics or religion, but also sometimes an engine for things happening. Yes. Here, this is maybe mirroring, which is think about how do you imagine the current fan base of professional soccer in the United States? How old are those fans? Who are those fans? I don't know how much. It I'm picturing years. very young. I'm picturing like because I see this like with our students. Like mm-hmm. you see, uh, you know, if you were to go back ten years, you did not see as many like club team jerseys from Europe, and now it's fairly common. And and not only that, like I see them, and I'm like, oh, that's like I know what it is. It's not like what's that thing you're wearing, you know? So yeah, I, I feel like it's it's. I think of probably like ten to twenty five is i mean maybe it's 10 to 30 you know is is the the people into this so i mean the studies i've seen actually say like 35 but i'm not sure they're factoring in youth involvement so it's definitely younger like baseball's average age before the rule changes mm-hmm. right was about 55 to 60 right um the nfl is below that the nba is actually a little bit closer to soccer it's kind of in like 40 to 42 in the studies mm-hmm. i've seen. so it's it's young it's also significantly different demographically than the population at large. It's a more diverse population. It's a more urban population. Mm -hmm. It's a more um, ethnically diverse population. And it's um, trending towards a population which is a little bit more affluent. Yeah, I thought of this because when we went to the Twins game last spring that Dr. Moore alluded to, we take our class to an event to kind of watch sports in action. I was sitting next to a soccer player and I asked him what he observed, and one thing he said is, I can't believe how white the crowd is. Hmm. And it's true. You look around, and a baseball crowd is about 95% white. Um, and then my son and I were at a Minnesota United game last week, and I thought of it, and I looked around, and I, realized, I can see why. He noticed that. Like, it's an incredible difference. 
I think soccer is a better reflection, if not of America now, but like America as I'd projected in like 2035 to 2040, mm. right? Increasingly diverse, increasingly urban, right? Um, we debate immigration a lot, but there is actually a significant amount of immigration in this country compared to like 50 to 100 years ago. Um, these are people who watch soccer, right? That's Advertising on Peacock often includes Spanish language advertising, right? Because yeah. that's actually a big part of the viewership. So it also seems to better match, certainly than baseball, maybe than the NFL even, the demographic direction of this country. So I don't know if that's too long a case. Well, the other interesting case. thing is when I think about American sports, I think about like how is the NFL or the NBA or MLB to a less degree trying to get into other markets? And that's not a problem soccer ha- – like, like – like, that's not a thing. It's yeah. like it's already there. Yeah, I don't even have to ask. Like, what's the most popular sport internationally? I mean, that, that's that's obvious, yeah. right? It's. Um, I mean, I I was like doing a really ridiculous thing and saying it's overtaking NFL football. That seemed like a stretch to me, but I I pegged this as like um, not unlikely. So is that is that overreaching? Do you how likely do you think this outcome is in twenty forty three? I I would say uh, if if we're thinking about its competition. Mm-hmm. Despite every great thing we said about baseball, like baseball's dying, yes. so that one's easy to be like, well, that that that'll mm-hmm. drop. Basketball, Chris, I think it's going to be a lot harder to get around basketball. Mm-hmm. Uh, basketball continues to internationalize. Mm-hmm. It's not going to catch soccer at the international level, but for Americans and American um, uh, uh, transplants, I think base- basketball is going to be really hard to supplant for soccer. Okay. There we go. So there's scenario number one. Uh, who wants to go next, Chris? Wait, wait. I have, a, I have a question. Oh, here. sure. I yeah. put, so no, okay. do we? Uh, am I gonna? Can I uh, ask you guys to be a little bit numerical here? Um, oh, for, oh, for non-zero, do we yeah. want to give a number to what chance we think this is? I did think we'll still be doing this podcast in 2043. We'll dig this out of the archives. Yeah. Oh yeah, you bet. And then we'll we'll see what who did the best here. Okay, so uh, so we're looking at a percentage. The only thing chance? you can't say is it's not going to happen. You, have, right, to, you right. have to give it a percentage chance. Well, you could. I mean, you could actually say you failed. Yes, and zero chance. <laughs> oh, okay, Chris didn't get the assignment, but we're not going to do that. No, <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, I I actually feel pretty good about this one. I would put this. Uh, between 30, I'll say 35. I'll be to say between 30 okay. and 40 yeah. percent. Okay. I feel pretty good about this, but I'm going to go lower. I'm going to say 20 percent. And the reason why is, especially for the 20 year window, I think we're headed towards a generation of deep polarization. Mm. And unfortunately, soccer has gotten sucked into what it means to be polarized. Yep. Football and baseball remain relatively nonpartisan sports, mm. uh, unlike, say, NASCAR and the NBA. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be hard to get conservatives to buy into soccer. Okay. That's a fair point. Um, um, by the way, viewers, you might want to weigh in on all of this. Sam, how can they write into us? Email us, channel3900 at gmail.com. Okay. Uh, Chris, how about you go next? Do okay, you? so my scenario, I'm tagging as very unlikely, okay. and I'll keep the premise very simple here. Mm-hmm. Do either of you know what the current men's record is in the 100-meter dash? Uh, 9.85, something like that. It's a little bit lower. Is it lower? Is yeah. it 9.79? Uh, yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, what are the chances that it is in 20 years the record is below 9-3 see this if I knew this was the question I I, like this is where I want some data I want to think about like like, what is the arc of this I'm glad you asked Um, if you're going by a sheer arithmetic arithmetic, uh, progression it could get there that's why I picked 9-3 what uh, what was the record 20 years ago um it, you're it was like losing, nine nine something. You're losing about a tenth every twenty years, so it's within the realm of possibility. A hundred. Um, 
Uh, aren't you, you saying it's dropping by 0.4 seconds in 20 years? So if it's 979 now, can yeah. we get could we get down uh, four tenths, uh, just a little bit on, uh, over four tenths in 20 years? Uh, no. <laughs> I mean, when was the last time? I mean, when was a 10.19 was the record? I mean, like at the beginning of the Olympics, I think it was better than that. Um, no, you're, you're saying we are shaving four tenths of a second off the record. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. In in the last 20 years, we have shaved one tenth of it. And now you're saying in 20 years we're going to somehow shave four tenths off. Here's okay. So let me. Okay. Let so me I just want to say this is why I think it's very unlikely. Let me make a little bit of the case. Yeah. Um, if we go back just about 80 years, mm-hmm. okay, uh, in that period of time we've shaved off um, more than a second. That is not true. What? That is absolutely not true. You need to look at the Olympic record book. There's no okay. way it was. Well, I'm not going to put up we're talking. No, I, I don't think that's true. It was 10.6 something. A hundred years ago. Hmm. Okay. Anyway, you are still compressing this significantly. That in twenty years we're going to somehow shape. So here's so here's where I'm getting yeah. at with this, um, and uh, we can talk. We can you know we can debate the uh, the tenths of the second, but what we've seen over the course of the last twenty years, I'm wondering is, are we seeing a closing of the window of human performance management? Mm-hmm. Or are there untapped elements of human performance management that have yet to be exploited? Right. Yes. If there are some unanticipated uh, elements of human performance management that we have yet to exploit, um, then I think there's an opportunity here for us to see another punctuated drop um, in, uh, in sprinting events. If, that's, if that window is closed, then we're never going to get there. I mean, it, it seems like what you're suggesting is like a Bob Beeman type leap above the record, which was a mm-hmm. kind of freakish event that's never been equal. It actually, it seems more like what happened in the 2008 Beijing Olympics when all the swimming records were shattered because of a change mostly in the swimsuit design, right? It made mm-hmm. them more aerodynamic. Yep. And so I guess technology actually, and so it's not even like it's not about the human body. It's more we, about the things the human body is. And we've already seen in the marathon, for example, um, a type of shoe which has now been prohibited in, right. in marathons because it seems to give an unfair advantage to those who wear it. Yep. Because um, So are we headed towards a place in track and field where those things won't happen anymore? I, so my guess would be... I mean, given how much just in the last 20 years we've already radically changed the nature of, like, sports medicine, the way people train, like, upper body workouts, professional coaching, professionalization Mm -hmm. generally, man, like, doing that degree of change in 20 years seems impossible. The scenario would be a transhuman scenario, right? That's where I wanted to go okay. next. So what does Thank this you. look like? Okay, so the way you... Yeah, let's, I, I was trying to get you to basically say what you said, yep. which is it's not going to happen by normal means. Yep. Could we imagine a world in which the politics of the Olympics and international track and field change such that this happens by extra normal means and that we open up an opportunity for transhuman athletes? And let's just be honest. We're talking about athletes who use a combination of chemical augmentation of various kinds and that becomes sanctioned in some way by international track and field and we see a massive leap forward in performance yeah chemical enhancement plus sometimes like biotechnology yes like you read futurists who write about it 
and it starts sounding like cyborg science fiction, right? Like you've replaced bones or muscles with some other kind of material that can do things that mm -hmm. normal human tissue cannot do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Is that, do you think that is a realm in which, and here I'm getting into a political question essentially, but that the international sport says it is getting too hard to police these things to keep athletes on natural Mm -hmm. And we're going to just open up the door for various kinds of transhuman effects. Mm -hmm. To me, when we go down that road, it's it's more a question of is twenty years the right window? Okay, not not is it does that would that make it possible? But like, will things change? Would things change that quickly? You know, it, I mean, it, it really is the. It's not can it be done, but will it be done? Um, and I feel less. Um, enthusiastic about this one happening, my number's going to be a lot lower. Sure. Yeah. Well, I pegged it as very unlikely. Yeah, my, mine is too. Like, I guess I'm trying to think, like, what's akin to this? Like, I, I do think professionalization might seem like a very different kind of change, but it was something that was fought forever, especially in athletics. Like, track mm -hmm. and field was this holdout. And then it happened, and it's become completely normal. I think it does change performance, right? If you this becomes your profession and there's investment in it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I could see like you could have a scenario where there's some rogue faction or there's a different kind of circuit and some athletes decide, forget this, and they just embrace it. And probably not just in track, but it's happening in other sports. I, I, and you maybe get like some countries. Like I can imagine some mm -hmm. countries being the kind of rogue nations here deciding to do it. Uh, yeah, this was happening with a wink and a, and a nod during the Cold War, right? East Germany famously. But it was happening doing, illicitly. Here, what would have happened? Well, but with essentially the sanction of the governing bodies saying, we're yes. not going to make an issue of this, right? Like that, I don't think that's likely with transhuman changes of the kite. Okay, about. so we've, we've, we've batted this around. Yeah. Let me put you guys the yeah, number. Yeah. I'll give you my number first. I said this is very unlikely. I do think it's very unlikely. But I'm going to say that it's not, a, it's not zero. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give it a 2% chance. Two sounds fine to me. I like, yeah. I, I was, I was thinking. I mean, it was definitely a single digit number. I, I'm good with two. I'll go a little. I'll say five, just to say. Like, I, I probably can envision scenarios, and in the 21st century, 20 years actually seems like a long enough time to permit some things that's hard for us to make. We can say it in politics. We can mm -hmm. say it in developments in artificial intelligence. Like, I just feel like pace of change right now is so fast. Things that seem highly unlikely, and this is highly unlikely, maybe are within the realm of the possible. I'll okay. say five percent. Okay, Sam. Well, uh, you guys did way better at this than uh, than I did, so I'm going to present you mine, and I want you guys to actually dream on this a little bit. So I'm going to present a, a half a half baked scenario. Um, so I spent this Saturday with my son, who is a huge college football fan, watching college football. We watched the um, the TCU Colorado game, which was oh, an unbelievably was fun game to watch. Um, and he, I am not a huge college football fan in that I don't watch it and follow it as much. I actually really like it, but I don't have time for it. But my son's really into it. So we, I was talking with him about um, kind of the, the – this, and this part's ripped from the headlines. The, the, everything that's happening with conference realignment mm -hmm. mixed with NIL, mixed with uh, fear, fear of con yes, yes, uh, fear of concussions, things like this. Like, sure. so, like, what is the what is the future of college football? I mean, I was looking at this realignment, and I have a question for you. And I actually, don't know the answer to this first one. Is the Gulf of Mexico part of the Atlantic Ocean? Do we do we consider that? <laughs> 
Because yes. Okay. Sure. Be, because because SMU is joining the Atlantic Coast Conference, which is in <laughs> Dallas. So it's like okay, so that makes sense. Is the Pacific Ocean part of the Atlantic Ocean? No, no it's, it's not. Because because Cal and Stanford are joining the the uh, Atlantic Coast Conference. Yes. Um. Now in college football, they talk about the Power Five conferences. Mm-hmm. We actually saw one of the Power Five conferences get looted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There are there are two orphan teams, Washington State and Oregon State. Mm-hmm. They have to feel like kids who didn't get picked for dodgeball. Mm-hmm. Everybody else has jumped to the other four mm-hmm. Power Five conferences, now the Power Four conferences. So we are now in a scenario where in 2024, the Big Ten will have 18 teams. <laughs> Which is as silly as the as Cal and Stanford in the Atlantic Coast Conference. The Big Twelve has will have sixteen teams, the SEC will have sixteen teams, and the ACC will have seventeen or eighteen teams, depending on how you work Notre Dame out from that. So I was thinking, like, where is this headed? Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. we're living in a world where both there you, there are some voices who say football is going to be gone in forty years or twenty years. Uh, we also have the professionalization of college football with name image likeness we also have this um arms race of these five conferences so i'm conceiving of a world and and the number is maybe somewhere between 64 and 100 college football teams will continue to exist probably closer to 64 to 80 college football teams and when i say college football teams i mean these are under 22 professional teams Hmm. um that are still attached in name to these colleges out of tradition. So there will be a University of Alabama team. Those players will not be at the University of Alabama. They will be at this Alabama Football Academy as professional athletes. And they will get promised, you know, when when your service here is done, sure, we'll give you a free education at the University of Alabama because that doesn't really cost us anything, Mm -hmm. right? So we are basically going to have an under-22 professional football league and then I think college football maybe goes away everywhere else, um, especially because okay. I, I, I want to try to pair the um, fears about what a collision sport like football does with the fact that we love football, with the fact that we are, you know, with, with NIL, we're starting to pay players. I saw the uh, current Heisman Trophy winner, Caleb Williams, in a lot of Wendy's commercials this weekend. And it was interesting just to be like, he's a college football player in like a national ad campaign. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. really interesting. Mm-hmm. So... So that's the so I ran this by my son and he said, "Oh, actually I didn't tell him my idea. I said, "What do you think will be in 20 years?" And he basically laid out a version of that scenario. Um, so that's that's my thought. So then that will become the that professional league will become the feeder league to the NFL. Guys will get paid enough that there's not necessarily a huge rush to the NFL for most of those guys. So we're actually going to see a lot more four-year players in that professional league. Um Except for the the top guys, because I actually think that I think that under twenty two professional league, there's enough love and boosterism that that that, that there will actually be significant money there um, for for the top players. Um, so that I was just thinking something around that. It's not fully baked. Feel free to add on to to that idea. So I, the thing that got me in what in, in what you just said was the words football academy, because mm-hmm. I've been thinking about how these schools. For, for these top power power conference schools, football is so lucrative mm-hmm. um, and such a money maker for those institutions. They will fight tooth and nail not to give it up. So how do they transition to a world in which this is functionally not something controlled by the NCAA um, or collegiate athletics scoped more broadly, but 
is is still something that that they own, and that's what it is. You've nailed it. It's going to be some kind of an academy system where th- they can justify that they're offering an educational experience, albeit not a bachelor's degree experience, to these f- players, and be honest about that. And the NFL likes it because it keeps the right uh, work uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, employee flow coming into uh, the institution. Um, but the part I quibble with is I don't think football is going away from other. Places. I just threw that in as a as a bonus. We you can we can change that if you want. But yeah. but 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 that that all of that other football is going to feel very. There's going to be a huge uh, a huge gap between what's happening in these in this prof, uh, <laughs> under twenty two professional academy league and then what you see everywhere else. Enormously, it's going to be the difference between playing uh, soccer for your local high school and playing soccer for a development academy. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yep. Exactly. I think that's right. Yeah, I think I had the same response as Chris. I don't think football is going away. I mean, actually, if anything, what I've seen is colleges starting football programs in the last five years. In our neck of the woods, Calvin University, which was a Christian school, multiple times has refused to start football. This year they launched their football team. Um, so I guess like, I, I think this is totally plausible. Um, how is it structured, though? Because, I mean, in a sense, like, we're not that far away from it. We're, we're kind of nodding and calling these people student-athletes. We already have 64 teams. They're doing something different than everyone else in the NCAA football. I think I think the big thing is is it will get named and structured. Because right now it is – it's a – I mean, we have some degree of structure uh, through the NCAA, mm-hmm. but we have – I mean, we have teams that are part of this, teams that are doing this, and teams that are not part of this, but they're still part of the same thing. And that's where I, I think you will see some of these other orphaned teams uh, drop down, for one thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and I mean, I, I don't I actually don't know enough about like the, uh, and this is where I need your help here about how the NCAA works to say. I mean, I think it would break away from that, right? Um, uh, sort of by definition, but well, so like a version of this I've heard proposed. I think this came from I don't know if it was Chip Kelly or someone saying because one of the problems with how the conferences have realigned, football is a once a week sport. It can take trips across the country to play in the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. You know, Rutgers can go to Los Angeles and play, and vice versa. Swimming teams can't do that. Baseball teams can't do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, volleyball teams can't do that. And so Kelly's idea is. You really do need to detach football from conference play as we've had it Absolutely. and maybe continue to yep. need as regional sorts of economically viable competitions, even in basketball, but certainly in the Olympic sports. Mm-hmm. And so this just seems like playing out that logic, too. You've evolved a completely separate system where this sport is not part of the NCAA. It's becoming something more like that soccer academy system mm-hmm. as a real feeder league that's developmental for the National Football League. That seems totally plausible to me. I don't know if it's 64 teams. The other scenario I've heard is college football's Premier League. You know, what if the top mm. like 30 get sick of sharing money with teams like Minnesota and Rutgers and say, why don't we just have a top 30 of the best of each of these power conferences? They do their own thing. Create now. The problem is they all have no negotiated football deals that run with the networks through like 2030-32, and that's actually that's the reason Oregon State is left out is no network wants to broadcast Oregon State football. Right, and, and the only reason I landed on say sixty four is because I, I'm trying to like move from where we mm-hmm. are to where we're going. So yep. either you see these you, you see these leagues continuing to devour each other, or basically we have the four and we're just quibbling over details and then those four band together to make this jump and that's why i think it in 20 years it it might be you know that big plus 
Um, I don't know. I, I think America might want more college football, not less of this. So it's like 64 gives you a bigger slate of of games. I think we probably have a talent pool that supports that. Um, and then it, you know, and and if it's a if it's a developmental feeder league, why would you not have a, a feeder league that's a little that that's you know bigger than the league it's feeding? Um, because this would be a an outlet for these for these post high school people for four years to make some money and then i and then i I really do think there'll be that still that because they're attached to these names and these these schools that there will be this sense of like we'll just delay the scholarship until you're done and then and you know um so so so, so i think there's i think there's um enough uh demand for enough college football and and there's now again I, i i would a school like Minnesota not have enough of a tradition? But there, there's probably enough schools that would have that. Well, I mean, I wonder if you actually have like a couple of divisions here within that larger scheme. I, I just, I don't think viewership for like your standard like eleven in the morning Big Twelve run the mill game is actually all that high at the local level. Like I think there's a lot of affinity for, it and there's a booster base, right? Like that can be true. I just do think media money is what makes this such. Sure. I mean, that's actually why there's so much money sure. here. It's not actually 90,000 people crowding into a stadium. Right, right. Yeah. But 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 my sense is like, like you don't want to diminish the amount of product you have. Like it's finding what is the number where it's like we actually can still sell this at 50 teams. At Like yeah. the, the, the people who want to make money on this don't want to have less of it. They want to have more of it that's still valuable. Okay. So I don't know where that number is. 64 is less than they have right now. Okay. Yeah. Uh, why don't we detach, because it sounds like you're not wedded to the it's going away at all of No, them. not at all. Okay, because that makes it a much harder right. calculation to do. So, I would call this the liftoff. So basically yeah. some number of teams, more than 30 or more, 64 or less, somewhere in that range, lift off from the NCAA and create their own product exogenous to the rest of collegiate athletics. Yeah, that has this academy. It has this kind of academy yeah. feel, mm-hmm. remaining attached to yeah. institutions. A professional under twenty-two leagues is a good way to talk about it. I'm gonna I'm gonna say that's a ten percent chance. Oh, I think it's a lot higher. I'll I'll say forty percent just because I'm not quite sure, but I, I think it's it might be the most likely of the scenarios we've heard. I feel like this mm. is where it's headed. I, mean, I feel like I, that's why I felt bad that I felt I picked something a little obvious. So yeah, yeah. I'm 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 willing th- to go north of forty on that. Okay, I, my my I'll give my my reasoning for my lower number. I think the caveat here is a little bit of time, and the mm. TV contracts are locked in for uh, for at least a little bit of that. Sure. It, the the amount of change you're proposing is fairly radical for these institutions, and the NCAA will absolutely fight it. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, that's how we played nine zero. Maybe we'll have to play this again sometime. It'd be I fun li- to do like a hundred year version of it. Yeah. We, like twenty was, you know, it, I can envision that. I hopefully will still be alive for it. If we go, if we go to hundred, I got a few other ones. Oh, I'm it'd be throw crazy. Out. All right. Some more transhumanism stuff. Yeah. So, uh, listeners, let us know what you think. Like what the chances are. Uh, if you have a scenario you want to share, we might be willing to share that to start next episode in October. Okay. We're running out of time. We'll take a quick break. Catch our breath. Come back and share three to see for the next week. Get in touch with the show by emailing us at channel3900 at gmail.com.
As always, we are running out of time on the 252. Before we go, we have three to see for the week of roughly September 12th through the 17th. Sam, get us started. All right. The calendar is tipping to fall, which means those Friday night lights are shining as a beacon leading us to the best in prep football. (laughs) Try writing like this. Uh, Friday, September 15th, the number 16 in the nation, American Heritage Patriots of Plantation, Florida, host the number seven Shamanad Madonna Prep Lions of Hollywood, Florida. Besides pitting two of the top teams in Florida, not to mention the country, this game has a special interest for our resident Buckeye, Dr. Chris Moore. The Lions are led by the number two overall recruit according to max preps in the country a five-star wide receiver named jeremiah smith the 6'3 198 pound smith whose cousin is seattle seahawks quarterback geno smith was a junior all-american last season for the lions hauling in 58 catches for 1073 yards and 20 touchdowns 24 7 sports director of scouting andrew ivins describes smith as one of the most talented wide receiver prospects to come out of south florida in the modern recruiting era i want to tell you guys the last time i picked a college football game i gave you while he was in high school bryce young number one overall pick and heisman trophy winner so so like i'm so uh oh yeah and i should also mention he has committed to play at ohio state in 2024 oh io if you're like me, every time you watch track and field events at the Olympics, you think to yourself, this is great. Why don't we see these athletes more often? Well, September 16th and 17th is your chance. Tune into the NBC platform of your choice to watch the pre-classic. Held annually at the Hayward Field in Oregon, the pre-classic is named in memory of the American middle distance runner, Steve Prefontaine. This, the meet is a major staple of the world track and field circuit, so the field should be world class. Two events draw my attention. First, a duel in the women's 100 meter between American Shikari Richardson and Jamaican Sherika Jackson. Second, mm-hmm. look for Jakob Ingebrigtsen of Norway in the 1500 meter. He's the reigning Olympic gold medalist and holds the indoor record, but was upset at the world championships in August. If he runs the pre, he'll be a chance to bounce back to winning form. Were there not two Prefontaine movies? That like, came out simultaneously. Character? Was the Jared Leto one the better one or the worse one? I, I never saw remember. either. Oh, well, that's irrelevant to this. Okay. Why are you looking at Chris for the movie question? Oh, I'm sorry. Well, he's like, he's my track I'm, guy. I, now, I'm one, now I'm wondering about the the prevalence of movies that appear at the same time, the Prefontaines, the, the Steve Jobses, and we should talk about that on a different podcast. That's maybe. right. It is a different podcast. Hey, check out Video Store. Uh, the sixth installment of the Invictus Games comes to Dusseldorf, Germany this week. Inspired by an annual American event called the Warrior Games and championed by Prince Harry. Can we still call him Prince Harry? Sure. Okay. Uh, After his deployment in Afghanistan, Invictus brings together hundreds of wounded servicemen and women from 21 nations to compete in sports from archery and swimming to wheelchair rugby and basketball and sitting volleyball. Uh, By the way, when Invictus comes to Vancouver in 2025, the games will add skiing and other winter sports for the first time. Participants this year include Ukraine, plus newcomers Israel and Colombia, the first Invictus team from South America. Competition continues through Saturday's closing ceremonies. I can't really break it down any farther than that. It was hard to find a lot of information, but uh, definitely an interesting event. Guys, it was fun to do this. Um, I'm exhausted, right? I haven't practiced for this for a while, so I'm going to take a month, rest up. We'll try this again in October. Sit in an ice bath. That's probably right. My prediction for 2043, you'll do a three-hour podcast, Chris. (laughs) (laughs) Transhumanism. Just just because I'm rambling and I've lost my train of thought. That's right. Yeah, probably. All right. Well, uh, Chris, take us away. You always end us. Thanks for listening, folks. You can always get a hold of us. Um, Sam, how would you like Mm -hmm. to get a hold of us these days? Uh, Email us, channel3900 at gmail.com. All right. 
Thanks for listening. And on behalf of my colleagues here at Bethel University, go Royals. Thank you.